Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'm your guys who explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. In honor of the state's 200th birthday, our Missouri will feature a series throughout 2021 entitled Bicentennial Book Club, which discusses award-winning publications that detail the state's diverse history, as well as the stories behind the stories featured within their pages. Our guest today is Walter Camp Hefner. He holds a PhD in history from the University of Missouri and presently serves as a professor of history at Texas A&M University. He is the author of The Westphalians, From Germany to Missouri, and Germans in America, A Concise History. He is also the co-editor of News from the Land of Freedom, German Immigrants Write Home, Germans in the Civil War, The Letters They Wrote Home, Longer Than a Man's Lifetime in Missouri, and Preserving German Texas Identity, Reminiscence of William A. Trinkman, 1859-1935. Welcome to our Missouri, Walter. Yeah, happy to be here. In thinking about your work and especially the new book that just came out, Germans in America, talk about when your interest in history began and really your interest in German history. Well, uh, the German history developed later, but my interest in history generally, I guess it was meant to be, uh, Daniel Boone had the choice of the whole state when he arrived in Spanish Missouri and settled about four miles down the road from where I grew up. And we went to Daniel Boone's home for my first grade school picnic. And later on, I put up hay bales in his backyard, one could say. Uh, another phase in the development, uh, when I was in grade school, grew up without running water or central heat, but my parents did subscribe me to the Sears Young People's Book Club and it had juvenile biographies of any number of historical figures, you know, people like Thomas Jefferson, Ulysses S. Grant, George Washington Carver, that was very influential to me. Buffalo Bill Cody, in fact, I used an anecdote of bleeding Kansas for that in my history lectures later on. So introduced to a lot of historical figures, but no German-Americans, incidentally, although Carl Schurz would have been, you know, a good candidate for a biography like that. Um, I also kind of grew up with, you might call it a German-American superiority complex. Uh, the idea that, first of all, German-Americans were superior farmers to Anglos, and also the myth, or maybe it was true, that German-Americans um, elected Lincoln and uh, saved St. Louis and Missouri for the Union. So those were some of the things. I'm not even sure where I picked them up, but uh, you know, they go back already to, my, I think, my grade school years. Now, in thinking about Missouri's German heritage and, and certainly getting into that here shortly with the rest of your work, someone who's quite significant in that is, is Dolph Schrader. Talk about your relationship with him not only kind of your first encounters with him, but also kind of your career work alongside of him. Yeah, well, uh, interestingly enough, 
I never got a history TA when I started grad school at Mizzou. I mean, there was a lot of competition then before the job market went south. Uh, and a friend told me I might have a chance of getting a TA in German. And so I applied and got it and uh, learned the adjective endings the week before I had to teach them. So uh, that was really how I got to know Dolph Schrader. And although his uh, training was in Germanistic, in language and literature, he was really uh, more interested in German-American culture and language and survivals and also um, you know, art and architecture and things like that in Missouri. So that was, that was my first introduction to Dolph and his contributions. And he and Becky were really the soul of the German department. They were the ones who, you know, hosted holiday parties for the grad students and things like that. So, you know, got to know him socially as well as uh, professionally in that way. Well, the first book she put out, The Westphalians, really looks at the subject matter of Germans and, and migration to the United States. So talk about the origins of that book and how you feel that that individual book itself impacted how scholars and the general public look at the subject of Germans and migration to Missouri particularly. Well, actually, it's bigger than Germans are than Missouri. Uh, it was part of a paradigm shift from uprooted to transplanted. Uh, you know, it was one of the first studies that documented the importance of chain migration, uh, people coming to places where they already had personal connections to earlier immigrants. Uh, and so that really cushioned the whole culture shock. But it's kind of ironic how I came to that. I really started out of the idea of social mobility studies that quantifiers had been doing within the United States. And my idea was to extend that to a transatlantic study. And um, one of the profs at Mizzou uh, introduced me to the fact that there were published emigration lists on the German side. So uh, that greatly facilitated a study if you could find where they went on the American side. Uh, this guy was very traditional and had little idea of what to do with these immigration lists, but I had a good idea of become, being a, you know, young whippersnapper number cruncher. Uh, and so that was uh, one of the roots. Uh, secondly, uh, my dad grew up in a town called New Melling, Missouri. And I asked him where the Germans in New Melly came from. And he said, uh, he guessed it was from Old Melly. And uh, I looked it up on a map. And uh, there was also another town just six miles away, or at least a place name called Kaplan. Looked them up on the German map, and they were only about 30 miles apart. So that gave me the clue that, hmm, here may be uh, you know, a concentration of immigrants that I can trace from Germany or Westphalia, as it turned out, uh, to America. And um, got further evidence of that in the State Historical Society, uh, started tallying the 
the places of origin of people in my home county in those county history mug books and saw that there was a big concentration from uh, Westphalia and neighboring Hanover. So that was kind of what put me on the path uh, of trying to do some transatlantic tracing. And, you know, although social mobility, the opportunities of America were part of, part of my study, it, it, it turned out that chain migration was actually a bigger story. And also one of the things I discovered was that every Missouri County or community had sort of a unique set of German roots, you know, uh, and they would have different dialects, uh, different religious traditions, but, you know, wherever you look, there was usually uh, one dominant group that, that settled heavily in a given county. And so you got the Saxons in Perry County and you got immigrants from Baden in St. Genevieve County, which um, started out French, but became much more German by the uh, mid to late 19th century. Uh, that was part of my Missouri Historical Review, I think it's 2012 article that looks at a number of those communities. Now we mentioned Dolph Schrader a little bit ago and, and one of the projects you worked with him on was Longer Than a Man's Lifetime in Missouri. So talk about that project and what it was like to be involved in editing the writings of someone like uh, Gert Goebel. Yeah, I was aware of Goebel's memoir already as a graduate student and I quoted him a bit uh, in my dissertation. And when I got back to Germany, I uh, interlibrary loaned and copied the whole German original. Uh, on this publication, I did not actually work directly with Dolph because he was, uh, you know, very advanced in age by then. I just kind of picked up where he left off. He had begun annotating the translation uh, and he actually died before the book came out, but fortunately that allowed us to dedicate it to him. But Goebel is a very interesting guy and a very rich source. Uh, you know, he was an eyewitness to German immigration and to one of the most important immigration societies, the Gießen Society, uh, from the beginning in the early 1830s. But you could also call him an oral historian of Anglo-American because he lived among uh, a lot of Anglo pioneers. He hunted with them and uh, heard their stories. And he includes that in his book as well. And I think he's quite fair to, to both groups. You know, he appreciated the strengths as well as the weaknesses of the Anglo-Americans and also the Germans. Now, in a similar vein, uh, what were some of the key themes that emerged as you were developing your publications that looked at really the letters and the writings of Germans in America, writing to their fellow Germans, but also writing back home to Europe? Well, chain migration also comes out strongly in these letters. You know, almost everyone that went to America had some personal connections before he left. And, uh, you know, you also see them uh, engaging in gossip and trash talking <laughs> transatlantically. Uh, so that was one of the important things that, that comes out of it. Uh, another thing, you have a strong German 
cultural identity at the same time you have uh, a strong American political identity. Those two are not incompatible. That's a big misconception. Uh, you know, an American patriotism and loyalty can be expressed as well in heritage languages as they can in English. And I mean, you see that in the Civil War where uh, Germans in Missouri were the most decided unionists of any group. Uh, another thing that comes out is the way that uh, Germans appreciated the economic opportunities of America, although they said the pace of work was faster than in Germany, but, but it paid off for you. And you, know, you also see the process of immigrant adjustment to, to a new society, a new culture, uh, a new economy, uh, New crops, you know, you see some funny names for, for corn or maize, for example. Welsh uh, corn, foreign corn, that was one of them. Turkish wheat was another one. So, but they managed to grow it pretty well. Uh, you know, even a, a beginner like Frederick Mintz said he never had a crop failure even in his first year uh, farming in Missouri. Now, to conclude today, uh, obviously, your, your new books just come out, Germans in America, and, and you've written, as we talked about, on, on Germans in Missouri, and being in Texas at Texas A&M, you focused on, in on a little bit on Germans in Texas as well, but what do you hope readers take away from this new book on Germans in America? Well, this is kind of a summary of my life's work. It's a badly needed synthesis. Uh, there's not been really any book like that. The last one uh, came out in 1976, and it was not even written by a historian, but rather someone trained in, you know, German language and literature. Um, it concentrates on the long 19th century from the post-Napoleonic era through World War I, but I also have one chapter on the colonial and early national period, and a final one on what I call the twilight of ethnicity, uh, the century since 1920. And, you know, in case you're only interested in Missouri Germans, I can reassure you that uh, Missourians as well as Texans get more attention than they would deserve just on the basis of numbers. Um, I say it's the fault of Booker T. Washington. He advised his listeners, cast down your bucket where you're at. And that's kind of what I did in, in my research. One of the most important questions I explore in this book is, uh, you know, what's the relationship of German immigrants and their descendants to the American mainstream? How long did they preserve their separate identity and their cultural distinctiveness? In what ways did they stand apart positively or negatively or just neutrally in matters about which reasonable people can differ? And also, how long and under what circumstances did later generations preserve the heritage language? Now, having grown up in something of a German rural enclave of a type that often gets overlooked, I present evidence of language persistence that contradicts the sociological three-generation model of linguistic assimilation. Now, at times, I find it necessary to push back and debunk the claims of ethnic enthusiasts and what I call professional Germans, but 
I also don't hesitate to debunk the debunkers where their corrective has gone too far. And I'm also attempting to play both sides of the street here, write something that is academically solid, but it's also accessible to the educated general reader. And one of the ways I do this is a lot of the points that I make are uh, demonstrated and enlivened by testimony from immigrant letters. So uh, I hope people take an opportunity to check this out. At the moment, the press even has it on a 35% off sale with the discount code 21JOYSALE. I think it only runs to the end of the year through the holiday season. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for joining me today, Walter. Well, I appreciate y'all's interest. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri. <laughs>